Burlap Podcast. Hi, my name is Paul Sheneman, and I'm the host of the Burlap Podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for. Uh, downloading or accessing this episode of the Burlap Podcast. Today we're talking about the Bible and Millennials. That's right, the Bible and Millennials. Um, it's, a, it's a nice topic. It's a good thing to, uh, to throw out in staff meetings or conversations with lay people. Um, it's something that, for me, in my context, is uh, a popular uh, topic uh, because uh, there's a lot of older people that want to know, uh, what do those young people do with their Bibles? Do they read them? Do they not? Um, and so one of the things that, uh, that is a common conversation in my context is how do you get millennials to read the Bible? But that is not what we're talking about today. Uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, the hopefulness of the Bible and millennials. And so I have Chris Foamsby, the uh, dignitary from the Church of the Resurrection, uh, with me this morning. And it's great to have you, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. It's good to be on again with you. Yeah. Chris, tell me a little bit about, from your perspective, the millennials and the Bible stuff. I mean, there's a lot out there. From your perspective, where do you start with this? Yeah, there's definitely a lot that's out there. I mean, uh, just about everywhere I go and either do training or do consulting uh, through burlap, I'm getting, that's one of the questions I get first is what do we do with millennials in the Bible? I think obviously some people are just approaching that from from a fear-based perspective like we've talked about so often on these burlap podcasts. It's, right. it's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to get people to read the Bible? The Bible's the key and it's the mm-hmm. key to Christianity. It's the key to understanding Jesus and what if people don't read the Bible and and they fret over it, and so oftentimes, and I think rightfully so in some cases, but it's it's how uh, you know we engage people using the Bible, and so that's definitely the first, if not you know, uh, yeah, first question I'd say that I get when I travel around and talk to folks is what does this mean? And statistics yeah, and that's real common for my context too, like the older people in my congregation, and uh, that I have conversations about like young people and reading the Bible, like, that's what they're wanting to know, like, you know, like, are they actually doing it? Like, are, you know, do they value it? Is it, you know, is it important yeah. to them? Like, it's important to me. So, yeah. I get what and you're Sometimes saying. it's not even the older people. Sometimes it's people who are uh, millennials themselves, but have grown up in the church or, or alongside of the faith in some way, and they, they're even kind of, in some ways, I've found, in my context anyways, pretty um, determined that it's the issue surrounding the future of the church is whether millennials read their Bible or not. And so there's oh, constantly yeah. this push that I get. It is, I often uh, do hear it from the older p- folks as well, boomers and older generation mm-hmm. folks, but for the most part, I've found it to, to be widespread. And the statistics, you know, freak people out a lot. And, and you know, I've uh, read somewhere the other day that uh, skeptics, uh, who uh, have just kind of said, you know, the Bible's not for me, it's not, got no relevance in my life, is, has nearly doubled from 10% to 19%. Uh, and then, you know, I've seen things out there like two-thirds of millennials just think it's another book. And that, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, one place I saw some, some statistics that said that 20%, just over actually 
of millennials believed that it was a dangerous book of dogma used to oppress people. And so there's all kinds of varying opinions. And, of course, you know, Paul, from the study that we did with over 100 millennials ourselves, that when we asked them what uh, their view on the Bible was, I think the specific question was, which of the following best describes what you think the Bible is? And uh, 28% of the folks said it's fiction and not relevant Mm -hmm. for my life. And that, you know, so that's where we're at. But the question for me always comes back to, so so what, what does that mean? How do we interpret these statistics? And how do right. we use the scriptures as we're sort of already doing in the midst of our everyday church world, whether it's teaching a class or preaching a sermon or engaging in a membership class or whatever it might be, how do we, how do we use this in scriptures in such a way to engage millennials? And I think it boils down to three things that I would say are key. And this comes out of some conversations I actually had a few weeks ago with the church outside of Omaha where we were doing some of our training. And the dialogue quickly went to how important the Bible was, and and of course we agree with that. But then what do we do about it? And I think these three things can help any church, no matter the context, sort of reimagine their work with millennials as they are already engaging uh, with the use of scriptures. The first thing is story, which we hear a lot about. We know mm-hmm. that millennials think in story quite often. We've heard things like story is the currency for culture today. That's how we that's how we share life. That that's how we enjoy one another. That's what it means to find meaning and purpose. But I think sometimes people confuse story with stories. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. we have this book of stories, and we're just going to tell a bunch of stories, and then magically millennials are going to become interested in the Bible because of these odd stories of Daniel and the lion's den and all these crazy things. And that's just not the case. I mean, to expect somebody to be connected to the Scriptures simply because uh, we're reading or telling stories, I don't think that's the key. I think going out one step or maybe two steps bigger and talking about story as a whole, as a meta-narrative. And in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in my case, understanding story and mission to be uh, synonymous, that when we look at the scriptures, we see this story of God, and this story is a God who is in pursuit and calling human beings to live in such a way that restores the world towards its intended wholeness. So I think that one of the things that any church can do to connect with millennials when using the Bible is to understand the overarching storyline of Scripture and not just tell stories from the Bible, but to mm-hmm. understand it as uh, the story of God. I don't know if you, Paul, have uh, had experience with that or what that's like in your context, but do you do you resonate with that at all? Yeah, and, and I've been influenced by you a lot in this area uh, in, uh, in, in understanding the overall story of scripture that's going on and uh, someone that's uh, also been helpful for me is Leslie Newbegin and uh, and he doesn't talk about that story as like a fictitious story or just a great story he talks about it as the story of humanity um, and it's a historical story um, and so it really helps to ground he I think he really helps me to ground telling the whole story of scripture in the context of the history of all humanity. Um, And he said that's one of the most attractive things about um, the scriptures is that they really tell the story of all of us together. 
Um, and yeah, I think that's a great way to say it. I mean, it's been a while since I've read that from New Begin, but as you are describing that, I'm remembering reading that and just thinking through how relevant that is for us today. Obviously, when New Begin was around doing ministry every day, he wasn't talking and referencing that to millennials, but just people in general. And that makes me think that, well, if that was true then, how much more could it be true for all generations just to connect with that that thinking as it relates to how we frame the Bible for people? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And I think becomes, this... Go ahead, sorry. Well, and it becomes a generous thing to... Uh, for the church to stand uh, in the scriptures that way and mm-hmm. communicate with people because you're then inviting people to 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 enter into that story with you because you need them to help you understand uh, God's story just as much as they might need you um, because it's all of our story. So every one of those perspectives that can enter into that is helpful, um, is, is not to be silenced or pushed out, um, but really is needed. And that was another thing that Newbegin always brought in um, because, you know, he was a missionary and was, you know, wanting people to engage this grand story uh, in, in Scripture. And so I think that's another helpful thing that I draw out of focusing on the meta narrative uh, or the big story of Scripture. Yeah, that's a great way to say it, and I, I hope that the listeners will, if they're not already in tune to Newbegin's work, will look up Newbegin and, and chase down yeah. some of what Newbegin had to say around the story. But I think you touched on it a little bit there with referencing some of what Newbegin called in terms of how we need the other to help us understand the Scripture as well. It's not just what we've come to interpret or understand ourselves, but it's in what we're learning as people are learning with us. And that leads me to the second aspect of what I think is key. If the first one is understanding story and the meta narrative that it is, the second thing would be just dialogue, which sounds so simple. But so often, as I talk to the millennials in our context, they have a desire to have conversations about the scripture, whether it be folks who are just exploring God or whether it be people who have already made up their mind about the scripture. They just don't see it to have any relevance or validity, truthfulness in their life. They still want to have conversations about it. And I think this is one of the things that the church could get much more practical about is actually harnessing the opportunity and willingness of that millennials have to have conversations and actually have them to sit down and to whether that's host a class or whether that's through hosting something like like Alpha, which is such a tremendous way to get people talking, or whether that's um, you know just one-on-one situations with millennials or millennials with each other, just having conversations about what does this mean, what, is, what, what do I think about this, what do I, how am I understanding this? Of course, um, you know I I tend to think in terms of four narratives that run all the way through the gospel, so the, the narrative of God, uh, sorry, run all the way through the scripture, uh, but, um, you know, God, self, others in the world. And that's just a really simple way to start conversations with people if you have a, uh, you know, uh, the inability to get the conversation started or if you lack courage in some way, just simply ask questions related to those four things. You know, where do you see God in this? What do you think about that? Where do you see yourself in this? Where do you see, uh, you know, how you're to treat others, for example, and what does this mean for the whole world? Or as you said earlier, relating to the meta narrative uh, about the uh, history of all humanity. Like, what does this mean for us? And I don't think it has to be 
preachy. I don't think it has to be even devotional. I think it can just be simply sitting down, having conversations about what the scriptures have to say. And I think that's a you know in a really a great opportunity. And I read somewhere the other day that 62% of non-Christian millennials have never even read the Bible. And I'm like, what a great opportunity. Let's help them see what the scripture. Uh, scriptures have so that we can engage them and, and uh, maybe they, they can have a chance to read that for themselves. So what, what are your thoughts as it relates to the, to the, the dialogue? Have you found that helpful in your context? Yeah. I mean, I, a story that connects with that that just happened to me was uh, sitting down with a group and there were uh, teenagers and college students and we just started having a conversation around um, certain convictions and beliefs and so we're just asking questions and and having a conversation and then the question about um, our view of humans came up like um, specifically around do we think humans are basically good and the way that the conversation was approached into just triggered in this um, this college student oh you're talking about like Rousseau and um, and uh, and uh, David Hume and a philosophical anthropology. Now, they didn't use those words, but they started right. riffing on these philosophers and their views of humans, you know, whether they're a clean slate or there's the ghost in the machine. And you could right. tell they, you know, were, were primed on their philosophy 101. Um, and, but they recognized that, um, that the Bible has a narrative about who humans are. And this question was really, like, resonated with them. So they just started engaging in this deeper conversation, and the Bible came to bear on how they started thinking about humans and in that category um, as they're trying to process through things that they're freshly learned in school. And so it was just an opportunity just to have, you know, a meaningful conversation for them and uh, and to bring the Bible into conversation. It wasn't like... For them at that point, it's not going to be the last word on it, but it, it presented a compelling story um, of who humans are and the reality that we live in. So, um, so yeah, I think that's uh, that's a, a great way to bring the Bible in, and I really hadn't thought about it until you brought it up, but that's exactly what happened in the story was just the conversation led into uh, the narrative. Yeah, I mean it's it's remarkable sometimes how just listening to folks and and as they share their beliefs about life, about humanity in particular, as you were just discussing, and being able to, you know, not coerce them into the scripture, but legitimately saying, well, this is what I understand the Bible, uh, you know, helps us to understand about humanity. So without the grand story and without dialoguing with that, I mean, it's no wonder uh, 62% of non-Christian millennials have never read their Bible. If we're not really uh, engaging them in meaningful conversations, what would prompt Mm -hmm. them to do so, so I, you know, it doesn't it doesn't shock me at all with that statistics. But I think the third thing that that churches can do, uh, people uh, leaders can do specifically, uh, particularly pastors, teachers, uh, preachers, is they can frame the Bible uh, with more of a, a sense of hope, and not um, you know here's what's wrong with the Bible. Uh, I'm sorry, here's what's wrong with with culture and here's how the Bible t- says it to be so. You know, that's one take. Or another take might be, well, 
you know, uh, we're all going to hell in a handbasket anyway unless we say this prayer or do this thing, et cetera, et cetera. But I just don't find millennials engaged in that at all. I feel like there's just a, when it comes to proving what's already wrong or what's broken or what needs fixing, it, it, it doesn't seem to compel them in any way, shape, or form. But what seems to compel them is when we talk about the grand narrative and this idea of hope, this idea that God is restoring the world towards its intended wholeness, and we can play a part in that. And as humans, we do play a part in that, that God invites us into that participation, and that um, we have an opportunity, therefore, to adjust our own lives to to best fit into that mission. And I think some of the millennials that I talk to on a regular basis might use words like common good or justice, but really what we're talking about here is making the world whole, uh, as we understand it to be, in, of course, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And I'm, I'm reminded, too, as I think through this, obviously this is such a, a big discussion as it relates to hope and the narrative that we see um, uh, in, in all of the scriptures than just this podcast. But I am reminded of uh, N.T. Wright who said something to the effect that, uh, uh, you know, that, that the resurrection isn't God's project to snatch people from earth and to bring them to heaven, but rather to colonize earth to look like heaven. And, of course, uh, the Lord's Prayer being such a significant part of that understanding. And so I think if we're to frame the Bible for people in that way, it makes just a, such a bigger difference for even their uh, interest or their desire to even open it up, study it, look at it, read it, or even hear things from it. Uh, I don't know if you find that to be true in your context, or maybe even some, you might even have a story of two of, of, of how you've uh, introduced that type of thinking into uh, millennials' lives in your context. Yeah, uh, I bet this is actually probably been one of the more uh, difficult things uh, in my uh, relational connection with millennials in, in bringing up um, the, um, the hope that's, in, that's, uh, that's explicit within Scripture um, because uh, a lot of the millennials that, that I know and, uh, and, and engage with um, have some pretty hopeless situations going on, mm. and so to to start talking about a story of hope, there was there was a big hurdle to get over um, for them. But the one thing that I found consistent is that um, is that even though it was a hurdle for them to get over and and to to begin to embrace um, the hopefulness. The hopefulness, the hopefulness that exists in the whole world, uh, because God's at work and active in our world, and that there is uh, signs of the resurrection uh, happening all around us. There was also the thing that still drove them. Like mm. there was something I- implicit uh, in all of our conversations, where it was like, you know, I don't think I can accept that, but I'm not going to reject it. You know? Mm. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that's. You know, I think that's probably a really common response is to is to be a skeptic of the idea, but then also desire it at the same time. You know, right. like who doesn't want that? Like who doesn't want um, what the kingdom promises? Like mm-hmm. you may not frame it in that language for people, but if you were to take what we know about the kingdom of God and about this new society that God is forming every day to restore the world towards its intended wholeness and look at what that uh, would mean to our world, 
I mean, just take the, the conversations we're all in right now as it relates to the political debates. You know, how do we best care for people around the world, right, starting right here in our own country? I mean, who doesn't want to do that, right? So, yeah. but it, so there, on one hand, there's this, I just, can't, I just can't get there. I just can't believe it, but I want it. You know, and yeah. somewhere in the midst of all that, I think that's where we leave room for the Holy Spirit to do <laughs> what the Holy Spirit uh, promises to do and, and, uh, and guiding people toward a new discovery. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where I think N.T. Wright's um, quote becomes so poignant for me. It is a, a colonizing of this world um, with something that is radically different. Um, because, like, when people encounter the hope found in the resurrection it is an odd thing and you know it's an alien thing to him uh and it needs to colonize this world um and so yeah i think well that's great yeah i think the you know i think this is a great place for churches to start i I don't think yeah you know it's gonna maybe resonate with everyone and work in every context but i think if we can uh take a, a step back and look at the the holistic story that the scripture is presenting to us, we can dialogue around that in meaningful ways, not not in ways that we think are dialogue or we say are dialogue, but are really us just, you know, having a, a speech. And then finally reframing things around uh, not necessarily what's wrong or broken, but what could be right and whole with the world. I think if we're able to do that, we might be able to change or uh, in some ways uh, you know, just guide millennials to a, a new a new way of understanding the scripture. At least that's my prayer. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, thanks for uh, being on uh, the podcast again, and for uh, for digging into the this topic of of the Bible and millennials, and for uh, giving some uh, some guidance. And I think some some very helpful guidance in trying to understand ways that we as a church can embody a way of valuing scriptures that really connects with millennials and gives them a reason to want (laughs) to uh, engage our scriptures and to even embrace them as their own. So I appreciate that. And uh, I was wondering if there were a couple of resources uh, that you had in mind um, or that you could think of off the top of your head that people could check out that would kind of lead them uh, down the road more uh, with these three things, story, um, conversation or dialogue, and hope. Yeah, well, when I think of story, I think of um, resources like New Begins, Walk Through the Bible, which is a really short read. I think that's a great way for people to see the the full-on story. Um, there's a a book called The Big Picture, um, and it's uh, I think that's the name of it by Vaughn Roberts, and it's uh, the entire narrative. It helps us uh, break down the scriptures in terms of these these episodes, if you will, and to understand uh, the scripture through the story. As it relates to dialogue, I mean, I think I think the, probably the best thing to do there is just to even <laughs> to Google, like, how to have a great conversation, you know, and pick two <laughs> yeah. or three of the articles and read it and just say, man. And, and really, one of the things that I think is helpful on that is, like, adding a third person to the conversation who can help you evaluate real, whether you're really having a dialogue or not. <laughs> you know, because I think sometimes in our head, in our heart we want there to be a dialogue but i think a lot of times it's just us trying to convince people and there really isn't this mutual understanding or respect for one another there's this conversation or dialogue for the purpose of 
And I think if we can just take a step back, trust the Holy Spirit, and just legitimately and sincerely have conversations with people. So maybe even just the the tip off the top of my head would be not a particular resource so much as find someone to to be a part of this and then ask them was that a conversation or a monologue, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes we we get we jump uh we jump to thinking what we want as opposed to what we're actually doing. And then, you know, I'm a big N.T. Wright fan when it comes to hope, and so I would say read anything you can. I think his book, Surprised by Hope, is a, is just a great book uh, as it relates to understanding that and practicing resurrection. And actually with Ash Wednesday being tomorrow, I don't know when this podcast will air, but as, as Ash Wednesday uh, is tomorrow leading us into Lent, it wouldn't be a bad thing to be reading as we go through Lent and anticipate resurrection anyway. So those are the things off the top of my head. I hope, hope they're helpful to people. All right. Thanks, Chris. And I will be providing the links to a lot of those resources uh, on the uh, the website uh, where the po- podcast posts. And so if you're listening to this through iTunes, uh, go to thinkburlat.com, and we'll have those links there for you to check out any of those resources. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Burlap Podcast. Mm-hmm.